Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode. We're doing another episode of Ask Carrie to celebrate the second anniversary of the podcast. You guys have made it simply amazing. And I can't thank you enough. And we thought it'd be fun to celebrate just by answering your questions because I get a lot of questions. You guys have great leadership questions. And I just thought it would be great to be able to share some of the answers and they're not perfect. You'll make up your own answers as you hear this, but you know what happens when we have these conversations, everybody gets better. So we had our first episode yesterday, our first bonus episode of the week uh, to celebrate the podcast second anniversary. And this is the stuff that we covered yesterday. If you missed it, you can go back and find the episode. We looked at what I personally would do if I was starting over again in ministry. And then there was a question about social media and how it's just you know, giving everybody access to you all the time. And how do you handle that? And then another reader, listener called in to say that he was really struggling because his wife doesn't share his call to ministry, what to do. I feel like this is like a call-in show or something. Anyway, uh, another question about time management. I told you about an exciting new resource I'm releasing very shortly. In fact, if you're in Seattle for the Orange Tour, you'll get your hands on it. That's where I'm actually heading to right now as you listen to this, flying out to Seattle for the Orange Tour there tomorrow. So if you're in the Seattle area, drop by and say hello. And then uh, finally, somebody asked about a rogue team member. And how do you know when someone's just thinking independently or whether they've kind of gone rogue? That was a fun one to tackle. And man, we've all been there. We've all had that question. So today we're going to look at some different issues and then We're going to do this every day until next Tuesday. So you're going to get six bonus episodes plus our usual Tuesday episodes just as a way of saying thank you and hopefully answering some of the questions that, like me, you ask from time to time. So today we're going to start with a question from Andy all about what it's like to be a North Point strategic partner. Hi, Carrie. This is Andy Miner from Midland, Michigan. Thank you for your awesome library of content that you make available for us. My question for you is, what were some factors that led to the decision to join as a North Point strategic partner, and what are some advantages to forming such an alliance, and can you describe that journey of transition for me? Hey, Andy, thanks for the encouragement, man. I I really appreciate that. Wow. You know, when I started, it was about 10 years ago that I got into a relationship with North Point and the team there. I was just excited. I mean, I had admired North Point for a number of years, as many of you had. At that time, almost none of my friends had ever heard of them. It was like, North Point? What? Where? Who? Whatever. Anyway, I'd been tracking with Andy Stanley and the team at North Point for about three or four years from afar. And then when I met Reggie Joyner and he introduced me to the team, And uh, I started traveling down there and they'd invited us into partnership. That was really exciting. So I'll tell you what I thought it was going to provide and what it actually provides. Okay, I thought it was going to provide just content. It would be like, oh, we're going to download the strategy. We're going to download the content. And, you know, a decade in, I've had lots of, you know, small group sessions with Andy and with other team members where, you know, they've shared a lot of the strategy that, that frankly, the way things have changed, you probably heard before. If you've read the books deep and wide, if you've read the seven practices of effective ministry, if you've been to a catalyst one day, 
if you've been to Drive Conference, which is coming up again next year, if you've been, you know, if you've heard Andy, if you listen to his leadership podcast, a lot of that stuff is now publicly available. It's not like he never drops a gem that I hadn't heard before. But I mean, a lot of you have access to that content now and even the strategy in a way that maybe a decade ago people didn't. And so then you ask, well, what is the advantage? Man, I got to tell you, you know what it is for me? It's community. It's community. I just, I love that community. It's an incredibly healthy community. It's not a perfect community, but man, it's pretty good. Like for being on this side of heaven, it's close. I got to tell you that. I, I love it. It's just healthy. And I think, you know, when you're part of a movement like North Point or, or like Life Church or some of the other churches or Hillsong or that sort of thing, I think this is what denominations were when they started. You know, at the time of the 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 Reformation or so on. It's not that denominations were supposed to be divisive. Now they kind of divide us, but they they united like-minded leaders. And being in a room with like-minded leaders, I mean, obviously being in a room with Andy Stanley, being in a room with Reggie Joyner when he was there and, and now with Orange or, you know, with Rick Holiday or Lane Jones or Jeff Henderson or Gavin Adams or some of the the other leadership team, you know, Tom Shefshunas who does middle school. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's really cool to be honest with you. But it's the relationship. That's that's awesome. And to be in there with other lead pastors or pastors of strategic partner churches who are just in the trenches with you. I've been on a call group with uh, Troy Fountain and Sean C and Chris Patton and more recently Joel Thomas. And I've been on that call for years. And I got to tell you, I look forward to it. And it's just guys who are trying to figure it out like you are, and they share a, a common commitment to the same mission, vision, and strategy. And, and I think one of the real signs of health within the North Point world is when a church is doing well, everybody celebrates. Like there's no envy, there's no jealousy, there's no like, oh, well, you know, I'm sure they sold out. And, and when someone's down, there's no gloating. I mean, people are really in there together. I mean, you rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And to me, until I stepped into the North Point community, that was pretty rare in church world. I mean, there's unfortunately a lot of like jealousy and envy and, and that sort of thing. So when somebody's doing really well, and I mean, you've, you've heard this before, a leaders will go, well, I wonder how they sold out or I wonder what they did. Or of course, you know, if I was there, I'd be doing the same thing. We just don't get that in in the relationships in North Point world. Or conversely, when somebody's down, you've probably also heard people say, ah, oh, well, told you so, you know, serves them right. Man, it's just, that is not the culture. And so I've really loved the culture at North Point. I've really loved the culture even at Orange where Reggie's gone on and, and he now leads that movement. It's so healthy that way. So that's probably my favorite thing. And, and honestly, why am I there? Because I have the opportunity to. And secondly, because I don't want to do this alone. I really love the guidance that we've gotten from North Point. Uh, I want to be in a tribe of some kind. And so this is my tribe of choice. And then to get to the other question, which is like, so how do you become a North Point strategic partner? Well, it's kind of by invitation. Uh, but now there actually is an application process. So you guys can go to northpointpartners.org and click around and uh, there's an application form and Lane Jones and his team would be happy to have a conversation with you. So uh, you can just go there. We will link to that in the show notes. But thanks so much for the question, Andy, and for your encouragement. That is my take. If you ask different people, they might like different things about it. But man, it is healthy, obviously extremely strategic. Oh, one more thing about that, I would say, which is this. Don't fall for the lie that being part 
of some kind of network like North Point or another, you know, very successful church is going to solve all the problems at your church. No, 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 no. That's your job as a leader. All right. You can show someone as gifted as Andy Stanley on the screen and people still do not automatically come flocking by the thousands. You as the leader still have the responsibility to build a healthy, great church. So, you know, being affiliated with something like North Point doesn't solve your problems, but it can help you solve your problems. Because as Andy has said many times, it helps you go further, faster. But you still need incredibly strong, bright, humble leadership on the ground. Um, so anyway, that's my last little editorial about being a North Point partner. But thanks so much for the question. Okay, on to the next question. Hello, Carrie. My name is Dura Kimulata from Kansas City, Missouri. My question to you is, what ways do you recognize your volunteers throughout the year to ensure that they stay aligned and alive? Thank you. Love the question. Love it. How do you recognize your volunteers throughout the year to assure they stay aligned and alive? I think the fact that you're asking the question is a really good sign that my guess is you've got a pretty good volunteer culture. I would say you celebrate them every day and on big days. So you want to do it every day through gratitude, through um, training events. You want to do it through vision, through strategy. I mean, sometimes we take volunteers for granted or we think, hey, they already know what the mission is. And, and that's a mistake. I think one of the ways you can really thank volunteers is by being very clear about the mission, very clear about the vision and very clear about the strategy. People like to be well-led, so lead them well. I mean, be bold in your asks, set standards that are high, that give them something to aspire to. Um, definitely talk about the mission and vision and the strategy that you have. Now, you want to do that every day and on big days. So you'll have a few big days where you have like a, a leader training. If you don't do leader training, you should definitely start that. So you might do that a couple times a year. We do usually a September summit for all of our family ministry volunteers. And then we do some more training sort of on the spot and one-on-one -on -one and in smaller enclaves. Um, we also do volunteer recognition and thank you events every year. Those are really important. Just make them fun. Don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money. These people work for you for free all year long. And so to buy them a nice dinner or to put on a good party, I think that's an investment. I think it's an investment in the future. So you want to do the big days. But every day, I mean, make sure that you take time to say thank you. Walk slowly through the halls, as John Maxwell says. Uh, greet somebody who was serving and, and thank them. But thank them specifically. You know, I've learned this from Jeff Henderson, but if somebody is serving in your preschool ministry and you notice that they do a really good job receiving a single mom, tell them that like, and tell them why it matters. Say, man, I noticed when you met that mom, you were compassionate. You, you, you pretended like you had all the time in the world for her. You uh, were really careful with how you received the child. And did you know that that may have been her only respite all week? Did you know that one of the greatest concerns any parent has is, is my child going to be safe? And the way you interacted with her I know she left feeling that her child was going to be well cared for. Her child was going to be safe. And I just want to thank you for that. Do you see how specific that is? And do you see how much more meaningful that is than just saying, hey, thanks for serving today? Now, 
occasionally when you're just going by somebody, if you see them with a, a shirt on that indicates they're a volunteer, or you know they're a volunteer, you say, hey man, thanks for serving today. That's great. But take it a level down and really drill down and really thank people specifically for what they're doing. Another thing you can do is write handwritten thank you cards. I mean, that goes a long way. I need to write more of them, but, but you need to do that. So express that kind of gratitude. And I know that leaders love to be led well, so don't shy away from the mission, vision, and strategy. Last idea, even when you're emailing them, Use it as an opportunity to cast vision and express thanks. So if you're just sending out the schedule or something, write a really interesting email. Don't just, you know, send an email that says, okay, this Sunday, so-and-so's in this environment, so-and-so's in that environment. Tell a story. Say, hey, did you know we had 15 new families last week and and, uh, there was one family that left us a note that said this and then tell them what the family said. Thank you for creating the kind of environment where these stories happen hey, this weekend, so-and-so and so-and-so is in this environment. And, you know, you go through the drill. And then at the end, you say, hey, I just want to thank you so much for helping us to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. Once again, you're casting vision, you're being specific. It's gratitude, it's strategy. So I think if you do those things well, I think great things are going to happen with your volunteers. Hope that helps. Okay, we got another question. So this one is from Fred. Hey, Carrie, this is Fred Baker at Fellowship Asheville. I have a short question for you that may require a long answer. What does the strategic planning process look like for Conexus Church? Thanks. Appreciate all you do. Well, it's changed over the years, Fred. And I'll tell you, at the very basic level, if we like aren't doing an offsite or anything, we do SWOT analyses on a regular basis. So if you're not familiar with a SWOT analysis, it's simple. Millions of organizations use it. It can help you with your team. It can help you with your volunteers. It can help you with your staff. It can help you plan an entire year. But basically, SWAT stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. And basically, you just divide a sheet of paper or four separate sheets of paper into those categories. Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. And so you start off and you say, hey, you know, what are the strengths you see in our organization right now? Well, we're reaching new families or we got a good growth curve or financially we're healthy. What are some weaknesses? Yeah, you know, our families seem to be a little off target. We're trying to reach, you know, uh, singles and and we're reaching a lot of older married couples. So not that that's a problem, but you know what I mean? I'm coming up with examples. What are some opportunities? Well, there's a brand new school in the area. So we need to build relationships with that or some businesses have moved in. We should build some relationships there. And what's a threat? Well, the threat is that Sundays is more and more a a recreational day. Like we are just falling off the radar screen of a lot of people who don't regularly attend church or other things like that. So that's a very simple SWOT analysis. So we use that. Um, We also just recently within the last year went through a a full StratOps analysis with Tony Morgan. So that's like a registered strategic planning process. Uh, Tony Morgan, who blogs at Tony Morgan Live and also leads the Unstuck group, highly recommend him. It was a two-day, basically eight hours each day of intensive question asking, and we went through the entire StratOps operation, came out with a five-year vision with strategic plans to help us get there. So that's StratOps, so we've used that. And I think you can be creative. I think the most important thing you can do is get people off-site and take them somewhere. Uh, Don't try to do this in your boardroom. Don't try to do this in your building. Try to go off-site if you really want to make it work. And uh, so the SWOT analysis can get you through the basics. You can do strat ops. We've done different variations, but essentially it kind of comes back to 
you know, you're looking at uh, what's working, what's not working, what are the opportunities before us, and then there are there any threats that we're missing? So uh, those are some things that I think could work in any context. Thanks, Fred. On to a question from Ray. Hi, Gary. My name is Ray Hanson. I'm the Connection Pastor at Compel Church in Glendale, Arizona. First off, your blog and podcasts are incredible resources. I just want to say thank you and I'll let you know how much I appreciate your wisdom and insight each week. We're a church plant that's about a year and a half old, and we have a relatively young staff. And so we do a pretty good job of reaching young people and young couples, but we struggle reaching and keeping couples in their 40s to 50s. Do you have any suggestions on some things that we can do to reach those who have so much to offer the church? I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Hey, Ray, thanks for the encouraging word. I so appreciate it. And I, I you know, congratulations on planning the church, too. Wow, you know, that's a good problem to have. I know a lot of listeners right now, a lot of leaders are like, I wish I had that problem. (laughs) That's great. I mean, I'm glad you're reaching young families. They tend to be harder to reach, actually, than 40 to 50-year-olds. I would drill down, first of all, uh, on why are they not coming? Do you know? Have you done a focus group? Have you done any follow-up with them? Do they not like the music? Do they feel out of place or whatever? And the other thing I would say, and I know this will probably be a little controversial, but I'm saying this as a guy who's 51 years old, okay? If, if you're going to lose like 20 or 30-year-olds or 40 or 50-year-olds, not keeping the 40 to 50-year-olds is probably the better solution because there are lots of churches to go to for people my age. Now, I think what you could do is pull people in their 40s and 50s into a sense of mission. I would, I would, you know, this is, I'll talk about this on a future bonus episode, but like, I think this is the prime season of your life to stop making it about yourself and start making it about imparting faith to the next generation. Ask them to serve, ask them to help. So they don't like the music. Oh, it's okay. You know, we're, we're not about satisfying people's preferences. We're about being on mission. And so I, I would look at that and maybe cast some mission and vision. The other thing I would say is that a lot of really dynamic young church plants start out kind of microcasting a particular demographic, like, you know, they're all 18 to 22, they're all 25, they're all 30. And it sounds like that's where you're in, which again, is not a bad place to be in. But in the life cycle of a church, a congregation will age. So all those singles you're reaching right now uh, in a few years are going to get married and a few years after that have kids and then their kids will get older and then you'll have a vibrant middle school and then eventually a vibrant high school. So I don't want to say don't worry about it, but I would say try to figure out what's going on. Maybe you're just missing something simple. And then secondly, I would call them to serve that next generation. I would say, hey, we need you to give. We need you to serve. We need you uh, to roll up your sleeves and help us get this done because that would be very appealing to somebody like me. I would much rather be in a church filled with people 20 years younger than me than in a whole sea of people my age. That's just me, Ray, but man, love it. I hope, I hope that was helpful. Okay, we've got a question now from Janet. I want to know how we can go about changing our church structure. We have 12 committees and 19 ministry teams, and we only run about 260 on a Sunday. It's killing us because we can't get anything done because of all the committees. Help. Whoa, Janet. Man, that is, uh, that's quite something. Um, 12 committees, 19 ministry teams, and only 250 people. So I take it everybody who attends your church is on a committee. I'm kidding. I mean, that's sort of my background. 
Man, that sounds like death by committee. Um, I think you got to kill him. I think you got to kill him. I'll just be straight up. We had a lot of committees. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've mentioned in a previous episode, you know, when I came to my churches 21 years ago, we had, I think, six people at one church, 14 at a second, and 23 at the third church. So grand total of just over 40 people attending church, but we had 18 elders. And I just looked around. I'm like, guys, why do you have that many elders? Is it like a, a rite of passage? Is it, is it just, you know, you're here for long enough and then boom, you're an elder? Like, why do you need this many people to make decisions for this few people? I don't get it. And so what I did was, you know, as elders retired and, you know, that happened, I just didn't replace them. Or sometimes I would ask them to step out early and appoint someone younger. So, you know, that was important. And most of them stuck around, by the way. You know, people are cool with that if you, if you, if you do it well. And now we only have, you know, our church is a lot bigger and we only have five or six elders. That's it. And I like the idea of leaders who can sit around a table and basically have one conversation at dinner. I think that's, that's a really good sized team. My guess is that under all those committees and teams is a lack of trust and a lack of empowerment. I mean, we don't actually have any committees at our church, even though we reach 11, 1200 on the weekend and 2,500 people call our church home. We just don't have committees because we empower people. If you're a staff member, here's your job, go do it. You don't have to report to anybody. If you do a bad job, we'll talk about it. If you do a really bad job persistently, well, then you're not going to work here anymore. And you know, there doesn't have to be a further discussion. You need empowered leaders. And usually the presence of committees indicates the absence of trust. So that many committees probably means decisions never get made. Um, one committee has to talk to another committee. It slows down the speed of the entire organization. And it probably means people don't trust each other. So you got to kill it. And 19 ministry teams, like, come on, that's complicated. You know, as you grow, you cannot export or scale complexity. You can only export or scale simplicity. So you've got to simplify things. Why 19 ministries? Because there were 19 good ideas? I doubt it. It's because 19 people had ideas. Only three of them are good. Well, kill the other ideas and go with the three good ideas. That's what I would do. So kill the committees, kill most of the ministry teams, and start over again. And will you lose people? Yes. Um, do it. I mean, I'm speaking pretty boldly here and clearly I'm not the pastor of your church, by the way I'm speaking, but I mean, I had to, I had to fight all those battles and you can do it with grace and you can say, just, you know, start asking questions. Why do we have these committees? Why do we have all these teams? Why don't we just a few, do a few things and do them well? Why, why don't we just empower the staff we have? And even if it's not staff, if it's volunteer leaders, again, same principle, Give them a job to do and let them do it. If they don't do it well, have a conversation. If they perpetually don't do it well, you let them go and you get someone else to do it. Like you don't need committees to govern them. Similarly, for, for those of you who are leaders who are struggling with activist boards, right, where the board wants to know everything, that's just a sign of a lack of trust. If you don't have a leader you can trust, you have the wrong leader. And if a leader violates that trust, oh, that's a whole other issue. You know, I always say to our elders, you guys should be the first to ask questions. And you know, occasionally they do, but hopefully I'm a very trustworthy leader and I have full transparency and disclosure uh, with our staff and with our team. So, I mean, I think it's a culture of suspicion versus trust, fear versus empowerment. And I think you got to kill that thing. Sorry, that's my answer. Okay. All right. How to win friends and influence people by me. All right. And on to a question from Brandon 
about a completely different subject. Hey, Carrie. I'm completely new to blogging and I'm looking to get started. What are some of the easiest and best ways to do so? Thanks so much. Well, Brandon, congrats so much on launching a blog and, and that's really exciting. Here's a couple things. I would just ask yourself a few questions. Number one, why are you blogging? Um, why are you doing it? It's just, it's just a good question to ask yourself. You know, are you trying to help leaders? Are, are you trying to get your name out there? Because I've talked to, and I, I don't know you at all, Brandon, but I've talked to a number of leaders. And it's kind of like, well, I feel like I have to blog. No, you don't have to blog. You don't have to have a social media account. Like, why are you doing that? Are you trying to connect with people? Are you trying to help people? So I would ask that question because it's very clarifying. Secondly, what's your story? Like, if, have you got a story? So just to pull something outside of the leadership space, let's say you were in a terrible car accident, took you a year to recover, but you made it and you had to maintain hope when there was no hope and you had to go through terrible physiotherapy, but now you're better. Well, out of an experience like that, you can help people who are maybe recovering from a car accident or have got a long rehab in front of them or, or that sort of thing. You know, one of the things I think I can bring to blogging and podcasting is I've done this for over two decades. And so... I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I've learned things the hard way and I can offer you some leadership and life shortcuts that hopefully can help you. And that's kind of how we grow, right? So a lot of my message is based on my experience, my life experience and my ministry experience in a post-Christian context here in Canada, uh, trying to transition three existing churches, planting a new church, you know, being portable and then building, going through numerous building campaigns and so on and trying to reach unchurched people. I I've got a lot stored up over two decades. So I would really zero in on, on that. What is your story? Because your story is really going to be what you can help people with and what will resonate. Nobody wants like theories that just float in the air. They, they want to know what's real. They want to know what's real to you. Another piece of advice I would give to you is you probably need to experiment with the sources for your content. So I don't have a better analogy than this, but I think of content in terms of content wells. So I have a leadership well, and that leadership well apparently goes very deep because I can write post after post after post on leadership. Uh, I can talk about church growth, about teams, about culture quite easily. Uh, I also write on parenting. I wrote a book on parenting, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity with Reggie Joyner. I write on the Parent Q blog about once a month. Uh, my kids are 24 and 20 now. My parenting well is much shallower than it was a decade ago because my kids are out of the house. And so Reggie Joyner's at the same stage of life at me. His kids are all grown adults, but his parenting well is incredibly deep. The guy just still like totally plugged into that. Mine's just more shallow. So I'm focusing more on leadership. Uh, I'll give you another example. I thought I was going to write a lot about communication because here I am communicating. You know, I preach every weekend, the whole deal. I thought, I'll oh, bet y'all have a hundred posts on communication. No, I got like 10. That's it. It's like, okay, everything I want to say about communication, I can say in 10 posts. And so you experiment a little bit and you realize, oh, this one runs deep. This well runs deep. And the deeper the well, the more content you can produce, whether that's in podcasting or blogging or whatever. Like I love the interview format, the normal format for my podcast, because I get to talk to great leaders and like, wow, I can do that every day for the rest of my life. That's really easy to do. So I would look for your, your content wells and figure out which ones run deep. And that's probably a clue as to where your messaging should be targeted. Last point I would say is think about your reader. Don't think about you. People send me their blog writing and they're like, can you critique it? Nine times out of 10, and I hate telling them this, is like, 
It's about you. Nobody cares about you. People don't care about me. Nobody cares about me. If you study my blog posts, 98% of them have the word you in the first sentence. Not like me, but like you, the listener, you, the reader. Why? Because I know you want to get better. You want to get help when you read it. So if I can help you and in that first paragraph present a problem that you're wrestling with and then run through a potential solution, I know I've helped you. Now, eventually, if you help enough people, they may become interested in your story, but I see too many people putting themselves out there like, I did this and I'm doing this and I thought this and I thought that. Nobody cares. I just remind myself about that all the time. Nobody cares about me. My job is to help you, the leader, and you, the listener. Now, obviously, you know, life is a little more complex than that. But if it's all about you, you're going to read your blog, and that's about the only person who's going to read it. Maybe your mom, too. So anyway, that those are some blogging tips. I hope that's helpful. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Michael Hyatt's written an awful lot. Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas in the business space. They've done John Acuff, great blogger. He writes some really good stuff as well. Lots of uh, great blogs out there uh, and people who talk about blogging that you can learn from. I've also followed, you know, Jeff Goins from Goins Writer and Copy Blogger over the years, which is now Rainmaker uh, and so on. So there's lots of good stuff out there. I hope you can find it and I hope that was helpful. Well, that's it for this second bonus episode celebrating two years of the podcast and so grateful. Hey, when we come back tomorrow, make sure you subscribe because if you do, here are some of the subjects we're going to deal with. Really interesting. We're going to look at the whole concept of membership. Is it dying? I've got some thoughts on that. And then, and then this was a very tough one. What about a registered sex offender who wants to be part of your church? How do you handle that? And then skills that are required of young leaders who are going to make an impact in the world. And other questions about why do I invest in young leaders so much? Another question that is really all about my whole sermon planning process. And I'm going to deal with those tomorrow. So make sure you subscribe because if you do, you'll get everything absolutely free in your inbox. First thing in the morning, can listen to it during your commute or your run or whenever. And then we're back on the normal schedule next Tuesday. But hey, hopefully this is uh, helpful to you. It's just a way to say thank you to you for two years of podcasting. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.